Where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Welcome, Ducks fans, where and whenever you're watching or listening. This is the Once a Duck podcast, where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never before heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in Duck history. We're just coming off an Arizona win on the road. That was pretty damn impressive in my mind. As always, I'm your host, Nick Cody, former Oregon offensive lineman with me as usual. My co-host, Samuel Tidrick Schmidt. Sam. How was your experience watching the game? And uh, what do you take away for, from most uh, just getting this kind of blowout win on the road? You know what, Nick? Any trip to the desert is uncomfortable. Everybody knows that. You've talked about it on here so many times. Players don't love making that trip. It's always impressive, the fans that are willing to make that trip. It's never an easy place to play. And we saw exactly earlier in the day what happens when Pacific Northwest teams go down to Arizona without the preparation, without the anticipation, it leads to you getting beat by a walk-on quarterback. And that's exactly what happened to Washington. But Oregon, on the other hand, they came to play. They were ready to go. The Ducks, despite a couple of drives by Arizona early in the game that looked extremely promising, that looked like they were going to lead to some problems, the Ducks bounced back, took advantage of the errors that Arizona made, and then put the foot, foot to the gas from there. Nothing but easy running for the ducks yeah and for uh the first sellout since oregon was there in what 2015 uh that stadium was never fully packed it felt like uh and for the most part you heard ducks fans for a majority of that game i remember when their offense came out and hearing how loud it was in the stadium and thinking arizona fans are either completely unaware how you're supposed to cheer at a football game or we have that many fans in the house and i think by the end you could hear let's go ducks over the tv a dozen times well, it was so fantastic to, to hear it. I had friends at that game who were Oregon fans, a couple friends at that game who were Arizona fans, and all of them came to the same agreement, which was the Oregon fans showed out and the Oregon football team showed out even more. We're going to get into it more, but just a fantastic day on the ground. They were able to do what they needed to through the air. A really, really fantastic performance. I keep saying that word because it's, it's, it's worthy of it. It really was that kind of a performance. As long as the starters were in, the Ducks were looking pretty darn solid throughout. Even some areas of concern that we've had throughout the year looked pretty darn short up in this ballgame. Let's start there. Oh, my goodness. Penalties, my friend. We In one week, I, I mean, let's see if it's a continued thing. You know, coming out of a bye week, it's going to mean you have to continue to keep that discipline in practice, not just, you know, preparing for an opponent, but preparing against yourself. But the way they eliminated, especially the false start procedural penalties, I mean, aside from, you know, one reviewed call, I know we texted over it. Uh, I thought because the, you know, the, the way that the play was called live, bang, bang play. And I thought leading with the shoulder shouldn't have gotten Manning ejected, but he was having a great game up to that point. And at least it was in the first half. So he will not have to miss any of UCLA. But I think aside from that, uh, you know, a, a pretty clean game in terms of penalties that you could avoid. 
Well, and you mentioned Dante Manning, a guy who came in as a part of that Oregon secondary. They showed a look that actually I feel like we haven't seen a ton throughout this season. It was the three corners on the field at once. It was pointed out during the broadcast. And after the game, actually, this week in, in Pac-12 media, as we know, Yogi Roth, who generally does his players, groups of the week, everything like that, he pointed to the Oregon secondary for a reason. He pointed to the Oregon secondary, Christian Gonzalez, the rest of that group, and said, hey, this is a group that has struggled at times, but they played really, really, really well in this ballgame against Arizona for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think Oregon did come out with a game plan that was suited for Arizona, specifically with the three corners. Number two, when guys went down, whether it was the moments when they wanted Bridges out of the ball game or whether it was when Manning was ejected, Jalil Florence stepped up, had an interception, played some really, really good football. When Bridges did come back in, he was definitely more in tune with the ball game. Christian Gonzalez, a great job, probably his most complete ball game as a duck. But a big reason why they were able to succeed, the Ducks brought pressure. They brought it throughout the entire game. It's a 3-4 team that was consistently bringing four, bringing five, even bringing six at times to get after Delora, keeping him uncomfortable. Just a really, really solid game plan for the Oregon defense. Maybe the best we've seen all season, just in terms of plan and pure execution. And situational execution is what I really want to talk about here for a moment. There was a moment I tweeted it out, and I know a lot of people responded, liked it, and agreed, uh, where, you know, Delora was starting to pick up a couple yards on the ground when the pocket broke down. And what did we do? I think it was a key third down. We spied Bossa exactly on him, uh, put him up on the line, and he sits there in, in kind of a spy position without rushing. Because if you rush a guy like that, you can get yourself back in the backfield too far, and then he's already gone. And just having him right there, and I, you know, I wonder how much of that was triggered by down situation, scheme, but whatever it was, and our coaches putting our players in the situation, especially a player like Bossa, who that's exactly what you want from him. Uh, just great, great ability of our coaches to scheme up against the Arizona offense, which I was really concerned about going into this game. You know, I thought we were going to be giving up a lot more points, especially in the second half and the adjustments we made on defense, especially when we saw uh, we were having a little bit of trouble with some of their wide receivers early. I mean, it, it, the adjustments we made by just getting pressure on the quarterback and doorless really stepping up, it, it was really, really impressive. Well, and you mentioned those Arizona receivers, those, those deep balls that they were throwing at least early. It looked like it was about to be a long night. If you were just judging off that first, that second drive, it looked like it might be a problem. They were really taking advantage of the side opposite Gonzalez to start the game. But Oregon takes advantage once Arizona gets into the red zone. They get a little bit too cute there on that, what looked like that reverse right there. DJ Johnson's able to jump on that ball. Ducks take over. They don't score on that drive, but they're able to push Arizona back to about, I believe, their, their own 40. They get the ball back, score that field goal. But from there, the Oregon offense just absolutely took over that ball game. And we're going to break down the play. I just have to headline it with this, though. Noah Whittington, one of the runs of the absolute season on that second drive, just makes those first two miss in the backfield, gets to the second level, an unbelievable cut, gone running down the sideline. I think they clocked him at 22.9 miles per hour, an exceptional run from him on that play. Yeah, I remember when he was first transferring to Oregon and you saw his highlight tape and you saw a couple of those, but seeing him on the road at Arizona in the desert, man, that's when you needed it. That's when it counts. And that, you know, from that point on, I mean, 
the the offense was already doing pretty well, I thought, but that that broke it open in the run game was not just set up for our running backs pretty well, but Bo Nix having himself a day as well. And what I loved uh, my highlight play, I guess, for our offense and our rushing offense was uh, the, the quarterback sneak for a touchdown where it was a second effort play, really. And, you know, teams have definitely seen it on film since uh, BYU, and they've schemed it up pretty well. I, I know Wazoo did a pretty good job against it, but Arizona, man, they, there was nothing they could do because our team was getting vote in there as a team, and that's what I love to see. Instill your will on the opposing team right under center, right on the one-yard line. Punch it in there because you know your players are better up front. Nick, I love Oregon's I-formation goal line set so, so so much you can do so many things out of it we've seen Bo Nix on the sneaks we've seen Jordan James and the straight runs we even saw Cam McCormick on the slip against Washington State but in this game there might have been my favorite play of the absolute season just because of how much of a tendency breaker it was Mataviles rushing touchdown him coming in motion as he has throughout the season to connect on that block getting the ball right there following Connolly, a guy I know you love right into the end zone. Just a fantastic play, a fantastic design. Loved seeing that tendency breaker out of Oregon. And even better than following Connerly, like he could have cut up and got into the end zone. No, he had so much momentum. He said, I'm going into the last force player on the line and going straight through him, man. What? That was a fun, you could tell he was psyched, uh, hyped up and uh, it, it was it was a tendency breaker. So those kind of things, you put those on film and now that back defensive force player has to sit there and wait an extra second before he can just dive back there. If you want to dive right down the middle. So that's, that's big. It's huge. And I love that Oregon is creating sets in the goal line right here that really, really do force teams to play it honest. They have to play it honest because that slip is available because the sneak is available. Even there was in the Jordan James touchdown aspect of it that I loved they faked the handoff to Herbert the fullback there was a moment where he put it in Herbert's gut pulled it back out gave it to James I loved that moment just because it shows that there is even further wrinkles that can be developed from that set I'm really really excited to see what else Oregon is going to pull out of their back pocket throughout the season from there and from other places on the field as well because we saw them just do so much from all over especially with the run game this week well, and, uh, you know, pulling more magic out was uh, Bucky Irving again with some spectacular runs in this game as well. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, all our backs that have been getting out there and, and putting in situations that they can be successful have utilized it. And man, again, another great game from our offensive line. You already mentioned Connerly coming in on the situationals and towards the end, but getting all the backups in there towards the end of the game and seeing them still be pretty damn solid up front. I mean, that's what you love to see as an offensive lineman. You get those guys up front, you know, the the Forsyth, get a, get him rested a little bit early, get him into the bye week for some treatment a little early, get those guys rested up because uh, big challenges coming ahead and uh, just seeing everybody, uh, especially, you know, hopefully we can get uh, Jones back here pretty healthy, but seeing that we have, you know, a good seven, eight guys that are really getting development right now and we can trust in the game, that's important, not just for this season, but going forward. We mentioned Connolly, another guy who isn't necessarily a full-time starter, but still had a great game, Jackson Powers Johnson. There's a play, I believe it's on a uh, Jordan James run, where you can see him 10, 11 yards, 12 yards upfield, pancaking the linebacker that he was up against. A really, really great game from him as well. This whole team on the ground was phenomenal. Another game where nobody had 100 yards rushing, but 
Whittington with 92, Knicks with 70, James with 69, nice, Irving with 67, 306 yards combined rushing on the ground for this Oregon team, and it really does all start up front. Well, everything starts up front right there with uh, Bass, Forsyth being two of our most consistent guys, but I got to give it to Harper too. I mean, the way he's been able to step up and they've been able to move walk over uh, and move things around and still be consistent is really, really impressive. And got to give it to Sala. No false starts. I mean, uh, and he's always going to be able to maul people and, and be a reliable guy in the, in the pass protection. But, you know, for his for him to dial in and really cut that out is going to be really, really key to, to us winning on the road this entire season. Well, I was very, very impressed with Sala throughout the game. Big Sala, as we know what he can do in space, we know what he can do blocking both pass pro and the run block. But again, playing a clean game, not getting any of those penalties that were having Oregon fans tearing their hair out the last few weeks was really, really good to see from him. Also, just the, the entirety of the line, whether it's their, their polling formations, whether it is how they were in pass, bro, there were a couple of times we saw Arizona bring five, even bring six. Knicks was still completely comfortable, as comfortable as you could be in that setting. And on the Knicks touchdown run, if you go back and watch that play, my goodness, the way that Forsyth pulls on that play, the way the walk pulls on that play, it is really, really impressive to see and just the blocking in general from this team has been so phenomenal all season. The Bucky Irving touchdown we talked about earlier. I think I, I wrote something during that game, put it out on Twitter, but it's about, hey, these Oregon running backs are realizing that in goal situations, they're not getting the ball right there. They're going to have to make something happen from a little further out, and they're doing it. A big reason why that's able to happen, guys like Coda, guys like Franklin downfield, engaging in these blocks, holding on to these blocks, making sure that there is a clear path to the end zone for their quarterback, for their running backs, no block, no rock. I'm a big believer in it. These guys are bought into it. The two leading receivers for the Ducks also being willing to do that kind of dirty work. Just fantastic, phenomenal, terrific, whatever other thesaurus-esque words you want to use, Nick. Pull it out. Pull out the big, thick book because I'm willing to use all of them to describe how this team has been downfield. The word thesaurus-esque is actually going down. It is the only word that they think anyone needs. That That's added to the vocabulary now. But uh, yeah, you, you nailed it. And then, uh, you know, defense, uh, you know, I think we, we saw a, an improved game from Noah Sewell. We saw, uh, you know, Jaleel Florence get out there, uh, get an interception, be able to uh, step up when Manning got, you know, taken from the game. I know a lot of people were really concerned about that and how we were going to match up on Arizona's wide receivers. And that experience is going to be invaluable going forward. So uh, just a great overall team game. And again, Special teams out there being special, being consistent, not giving up uh, any any major breakback plays and being consistent in the kicking game, man. You can't ask for anything more than that. And uh, I think, you know, you, you had the closer prediction, but I don't think either of us saw it being as dominant a game in Oregon's favor at the end of the game on the scoreboard as it actually was. I didn't see it for sure. I would have thought that Oregon, I think I said 48-31, I predicted Arizona would have been able to get a little more going on offense. Oregon would have had a couple of drives stopped short, but it didn't happen at all. Both Oregon's offense and defense performed above expectation in this ball game. It was really great to watch, especially with some of the players that were missing from the defense that had been playing throughout the season. We mentioned Manning going out early in that ball game, but Brian Addison, who's been getting a lot of time at safety, he didn't play at all in this game. Who stepped up? 
Jamal Hill came in five touch, five tackles, three of them solo. He's actually the leading tackler in that ball game. Talk about stepping up in a moment when you have the opportunity. He absolutely did so. Looked really, really good out there. And another guy who just had a, a fantastic ball game, Bennett Williams, yeah. four tackles, all four of them solo. All four. That means that he's making things happen in space. There's one particular play. Arizona's running back bounces it outside. And Ben and Williams diagnosis from about 12 yards back, flies up the field, makes a great tackle around the legs, gets low, brings him down for a two yard after two yards, which a play that probably could have been a first down if he wasn't there. Just so glad to see him performing at the level he's at. He also had the strip sack on the blitz play. Really, really great. We all know what Bennett Williams can do, but coming back this season from that broken leg last year, his performance throughout the season has been fantastic. This was another game where he really showed out, really showed up. Great work from him. Yeah, week to week, you've noticed that he's getting way back to the form that he was in last year before he got hurt. That's a great thing to see. Another thing to see, a guy that's dealt with a lot of injuries and probably one of at least the broadcast highlights of the game was the Justin Flo crazy eyes moment. And right when they're talking about him, he goes through, gets a solo tackle, just busting past before an offense. I think it was the left tackle trying to cut him off and had no chance to get there. Runs underneath blocks, instantly makes a solo tackle, gets up and looking to the sideline for the call as they've got the, the solo close up on him. And he's got the crazy eyes just going nuts. And you could tell he's ready to light the next running back up. It was awesome. Wish the entire defense got lined up a little bit faster on that next play, but uh, it was great to see. And just one of those moments of broadcasting that was great, just a perfect opportunity when you're highlighting a player and does something special like that. And you just see the passion he plays with. And that is reverberated around him. You can see the rest of the team feeds off that energy, even though, you know, Manning got the penalty on the play later, uh, you know, you could see Flo going up to celebrate and just bringing his energy up and, and letting him know what a great play he made as an individual. And that brings everybody up on the defense and everybody on the sideline. Well, Justin Flo is it's such a, a, a terrific ball player. He really is, for somebody who came in as highly touted as he did with as much esteem as he did when he stepped on campus, he really has performed. He's somebody that when he's been healthy, and yes, that has been an issue at times. It was an issue in 2020. It was an issue in 2021. But when he has been healthy, he has been an absolute menace for the Oregon Ducks. He's got incredible speed, incredible quickness, hitting power that is probably bar none to anybody else on this team, just in terms of how quickly and how hard he can bring the boom down on somebody. I love how he reacts to things. I love that he gets excited. I love that even on uh, what looks like a pretty mundane tackle, maybe like a first down, a second down, gain of three or four kind of tackle, he's still going over to the sideline as excited as he can be because that is infectious energy. Even if you are the hype man of the defense, that hype is doing something. It's working. I've loved to see Justin Flo this season. Number 10 on defense has been just as exciting as number 10 on offense. So glad to see him rounding into himself this season. Another thing that, you know, helps you, especially as a player, play good is looking good, right? Look good, feel good, play good. And the Ducks breaking out the eggshell uniforms, getting a great road win in those. I mean, man, what a day because, hey, just like Flo, that just adds the extra energy, that extra hype. And then you see those highlights again later and you look that much better. I mean, man, there's nothing like it. 
that's that's what makes Oregon football above and beyond everybody else. The the moments like that, the big plays, and the great players that bring that kind of energy to it. So I, I'm so excited for where this program is. And going into this next week here, man, we've got another fantastic uniform i couldn't be happier about the cause everyone out there has been real supportive uh, my mom just overcoming her battle with breast cancer and continue to get that checked out and and you know try and overcome that and everybody out there i know is affected with breast by breast cancer in some sort of way they all appreciate it but sam you've got one of the jerseys right there they're being released uh you know during this bye week and uh, already basically sold out online, impossible to get resellers out there making all kinds of money off it. Here we are, full week before the UCLA game, lots of time to talk about it, but how do you feel about these uniforms, and are you already hyped for this game? Oh, man, Nick, this you just asked me a, a real big question. You're going to get a real big answer, and that's just how it, it's going to be here. I'm sorry. First and foremost, I think that, any ill will that was gained toward the eggshell uniform after last year's Pac-12 championship game, which granted there was a bit, it's a race now. This is a look that is really, really fantastic. One thing I noticed that looked really, really cool on the broadcast was the fact, especially when the camera was behind the players, right? When it was behind the defense looking down, it almost looked like just where the Oregon players were, it was a little bit static. It was like that analog look back before they gave everybody the digital boxes in about 2010 or whenever it was. It looked like it was some rabbit ears a little bit, but it was so cool to see like the, the blur of the white and the gray and the nightmare speckles. It looked fantastic. It's a uniform that I think we can all agree looks so good at night. It's a great night game look. It, lo it just a fantastic set altogether. The nightmare helmet with it, a really, really good look. Loved, loved every piece of it. It really did come down to probably, probably my second favorite so far this season after the UCLA game, I might bump down to third, but second favorite throughout the season looked so good. Look good, feel good, play good. As you said, Oregon absolutely knocked you out of the park, but oh my goodness, Nick, UCLA week. What is it about UCLA? You noticed this last time, I believe the last time Oregon went with a three color combo was at UCLA in 2017, 2018 bring out the Jordan jersey, 2019. Nope, didn't play UCLA that year, but 2020, Ohana jerseys. 2021, you had the eggshell for the first time, and then in 2022, the return of the breast cancer awareness uniform, the first time since 2014, brings together some of my favorite elements from Oregon uniforms from the past, some of the best looks the Ducks have had, whether it was national championships, whether it was games in Dallas played against SEC opponents, whether it was these huge ball games in Autzen with breast cancer awareness, so many great elements come together for this uniform. The black base, the pink numbers in the pinko, the volt green on the shoulders. It is such a good look. And it makes sense also why we hadn't seen the black helmet yet this year for the Ducks. Yeah. We'd seen the black helmet last year. It had the faded yellow wings on it. It was a great look. It was a look that probably could have gone with a couple of the different designs and a couple of the different combos from this season. But to see it repurposed with the pink wings, oh my goodness. It just looks fantastic. The Volt O on the back, just a chef's kiss just to add to it. There are some people that aren't liking all of it. There were a couple pictures that the Volt looked a little yellow in, but 
I can assure you, standing right here, sitting right here, excuse me, holding on to one of these, black, pink, Volt. It is such a fantastic look, and I'm so excited to see the Ducks debut it against UCLA next weekend. Well, just as excited as I am to see them debut, I'm even more excited to talk about it with the designer, former Oregon Duck, one of my teammates. We're going to talk to him, Daryl Hawkins. So with us now, somebody we've talked about having on for a long, long time, a versatile athlete for the University of Oregon, and a guy that not only played multiple positions, but knew the jersey inside and out. Daryl Hawkins, former wide receiver, quarterback, and jersey designer for this week. And because of that, I know that Sam's been waiting a long time to finally talk to you and ask you some uniform questions. So, Sam, you go ahead and get the first question, buddy. I know, I know your anticipation can't even handle it. Oh, man. Well, obviously, Nick, you know I'm excited about this. Daryl, thanks so much for joining us, man. I'm a huge, as you can tell, a huge uniform guy. Love the uh, Oregon design always and really, really excited to have you on this week. First question, though, and I have to ask you, do you remember 2019, the Oregon football reveal at Autzen Stadium, some snobby kid walking up to you with an iPhone and asking you a handful of questions about the uniforms that day? Because that kid's really excited to have you back on his podcast now. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I think I do. Was that the day, like, we literally had the podium set up? In exactly, the studio, yes. The oh, yeah, that was a good day. We had a good turnout. And that was I a lot do. of fun. It was so uh, it was so great to talk to you then. You had such fantastic insight about uh, that 2019-2020 set that you were able to be an advisor on, be a part of that project. But you said something in that interview that was really important and really stood out to me. And it was the fact that before they even let you in the room to work with the University of Oregon to work on the Ducks, you had a handful of other projects with Nike before that, college football uniforms, professional uniform. Before we dive headfirst into the Oregon stuff, which we know we're going to do, what were some of those other projects you had a piece in, a couple of which I'm personally a big fan of? Oh, man. So, like, my jersey history resume, um, it's been across multiple sports. I got to do the Los Angeles Chargers, lightning bolt on the shoulders and everything. Uh, I did the San Diego City Connect that just dropped earlier this year. That's the crazy pinking uh green and all that type of stuff um i've done illinois football team and the basketball team and all their throwbacks i've done tcu the horn frog kind of like um cowl black panther type graphic on the chest of there um let's see uh, a couple other ones that are definitely on the side like i've done a lot of high school jerseys too so i've got to work on um jack yates I've also worked on uh, American Heritage. They have like a Patriot themed entire look, um, modern day. Uh, I've definitely consulted on like Bishop Gorman and the St. John Bosco's and all that type of stuff. That was my old team. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's been a fun ride and a fun journey. Like definitely a lot of good, exciting, interesting trips and, you know, get a taste of all the different communities but from abroad in the uniform perspective. Yeah, that's awesome to hear, man. And, and you brought that experience to the Oregon Ducks uniforms. And uh, a great reason we want to have you on this week is because your last Oregon uniform design is coming out for this UCLA game. They released it during the bye week. The fans seem to really, really love it, already selling it out. Uh, just tell us what went into that uniform for you, your thoughts on it, and uh, you know what, what it means to you being that, that last one. Oh, I mean, like... 
man, there's like four questions wrapped into one in that one. But um, I would say this unit, what this uniform really means to me as my last one, um, I think specifically when you look at doing Oregon uniforms, it's almost like episodic. Like when I first was pitching this to the rest of the team and to, you know, leadership council that's down in the captain's in Eugene, like this is a chapter in the saga that is Oregon uniforms. And there's been so many uniforms throughout time and specifically like each chapter of Oregon is kind of like a gift that the prior leadership team or like the prior captains of the team give to the future. So I'm sure you remember like being a part of the focus groups and all that type of stuff and how our uniforms evolved over time. That was from the influence of like our team captains and team leaders. And it's kind of handed down from generation to generation. Like what is the, what they feel like the future is gonna be, what's the future of the time. And then also what are like the main themes, motifs and how they see the trajectory of the team going. So from that specific era that's now dropping now, I mean, we were working on this in 20, geez, like 2019, 2020 was like, we're officially down Eugene, talking to the captains. And uh, specifically, we had talked about like commitment, toughness, discipline, um, effort, and pride. And those were the five mantras that coach was preaching on and how that was embodied in the team. And then specifically, we were looking at, you know, typically each year we try to have a disruption moment that, you know, usually happens around Halloween or specifically around certain type of events where we want to celebrate something a little more um, specific when it comes to like the culture of Oregon. So you guys probably remember the Ohana jerseys, which I also worked on and, um, you know, a, the couple other different disruption moments where we have where, you know, they're usually very distinct, the Jordan jersey or, you know, they have a lot more rich storytelling around it because it's very unique to whatever's happening in the moment. And this team specifically wanted to do something around breast cancer awareness because there's multiple guys who are kind of affected by that. I mean, I know I've had people in my family who've gone through that process and being that one of the mantras around the team was toughness. We felt like there was no better way to championship some of the toughest people out there, the survivors and the people who are going through it, breast cancer. So that being said, it's an awesome opportunity. And, you know, for what Oregon means to Nike, like Oregon is one of the biggest platforms that we can do any type of awareness on to be able to do something for breast cancer awareness on Oregon and do it in a way that only Oregon can do, you know, it's well documented. Like there's a significant amount of charity donation that goes with it. The jerseys and the helmets and things like that get auctioned off. And so there's going to be a decent amount of support that goes directly to the cause itself. Well, Daryl, speaking specifically about these breast cancer awareness uniforms, I happen to have the fan version in my hand right now, seeing All the right. commitment, toughness, discipline, effort, pride on the back of the collar right there. Love seeing it. One thing I had to ask you about was that this is an absolutely gorgeous look, the black, the pink, but also you decided to involve the, the Volt as well, that, that bright neon color. And as you said, you wanted to, to make it Oregon, adding this. What was your, your thought process in bringing these colors together? And how do you think uh, the final product uh, turned out? Did it match what was like originally envisioned by you and those captains? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it definitely... I mean, I, I got to show it to him and they gave him the thumbs up a long time ago, but I would say, you know, Oregon has a history of doing like 
amazing jerseys. And this isn't our first time doing breast cancer awareness either. So how do you continue to build upon the evolution of it? Like we've done, you know, the, the generic version is like people just add some pink accessories and then we took it to the next level with a pink helmet. Then we took it one step beyond that by doing like pink helmet and pink jersey and pink numbers and things like that. So how do you build upon that evolution from there? And so this time I was like, all right, can we just make this like a super cool stealth and high vis jersey at the same time? So you got pink, plus you got Volt, which is very much like a Nike color and the Oregon color. There's no other teams that really can necessarily pull it off, although many I'm sure have tried. And it's like, you just take that to the next level. Like it feels sport, it feels fast. It also feels like very stealthy and combining all those elements and, and also being able to celebrate a cause in and of itself. I mean, it's, you can already see now it's generating the energy that it was meant to generate. Now, before we transition into more of your football career and talking a little bit about, you know, the program and what brought you to it, I got to steal Sam's favorite question. I got to ask you specifically when you were a player, we had some awesome uniforms. What combination was your favorite? Oh man. I mean, like there are so many amazing ones, but I'll tell you the one that has like one of my favorite stories tied to it, probably because I had my best game in it was uh, the Storm LA all white stormtrooper jerseys. I mean, that was, it's always fun when you can go into someone else's house and like take over, but that was the one where it felt like we literally had a full presence in the Coliseum. We scored the most points that anyone's ever scored in the history of that stadium. And, you know, like it was a full shootout at night in LA. I think I scored one of the first two touchdowns in there, like in the bottom left end zone. Uh, it was absolutely insane. I mean, like their team was stacked. I mean, it was a sturdy USC team. They had Matt Barkley, Nelson Aguilar, Robert Woods. I mean, they were, they were good and they were putting on a show that night. And then of course, Josh Huff goes off. I think Kenyon runs for a huge chunky yards. Like I think it was in like 300 something plus yards. DeAnthony had an amazing game. So that was one that's like, you know, if it ever shows up on the replay, you sit down and watching it and like, man, that was insane, especially as an offensive person. I know the defense, every time I bring it up, they're like, oh my gosh, we're so, but you know, I think those games are fun to watch. Well, I can tell you at least play-wise, phenomenal game, uniform-wise, phenomenal game. I remember watching that one at my grandparents' house and even them in their age, were like, wow, this is absolutely incredible. These look phenomenal. So definitely one that for sure sticks out. The last uniform question before we get into your time, your career at Oregon. The thing that I love about this current set, this current template that Oregon is using that I love so much is that it involves both elements from the past, both elements from the present and things that appear futuristic and really do take you into a, a new decade of Oregon football. When that process was occurring, when everybody was sitting down, was it really a moment of, okay, how many elements can we bring into this at one time and whose thought was it really to make the to make the markings within the number the little ducks because it's a detail I absolutely love <laughs> I mean that was that was yours truly uh but I think like the way that we go about approaching uniforms is you capture the voice of the athlete like everything that was important to um what that team meant and I can give you like a little bit of the story behind it. Uh, the guys kind of came together and they're like, we want, 
like our jerseys to feel like Black Panther. That was like the movie of the time. And so the way that I approached designing this set of uniforms was, all right, what if uh, Eugene was like Wakanda, but it was like the secret place. What would the warriors wear in this village that was like super tech futuristic, but then also was inspired off the duck, but then like had all these different elements that were like future derivative. And this was like a future state society of warriors that like went out in the war duck inspired you know superhero uniforms and that's where like the jersey kind of took off from there it was like all right how can we add in like extra perforation and highlight the technologies that are built within the jersey so that's where you have like the port grommets that are underneath the the ribs themselves then of course we had to integrate the duck but it was like this is the evolution of the future of the duck so it has this positive negative in the shoulders and then, of course, one of the iconic parts of the history of Oregon jerseys is the diamond plate. But how do we do a futuristic version of that? And so that's how we did this auxetic pattern that's like very much in the shape and like orientation of the flying V of ducks. But also auxetic patterns, the way that they work is the more you stretch them, the thicker and the more strength you put into the fabric. And so that's why that's built into the wings, almost like armored planing on the shoulder built into the positive negative of the wing and the sleeve cap itself. And then of course the numbers, we were like continuing to build off of the evolution of that key line that was integrated in the number itself. That's kind of been built across not only football, but basketball and all the other different sports, taking that and then engineering the perforation into it where it's like a perforated gradient that was just continuing to build it to the next level of evolution. Then of course, you know, you add all the, the shiny gloss and, glam that we've had across the history of Oregon which if you know about originally the story of how like we got to the iridescent and pearlized helmets and all the different color shifting stuff it's actually because duck heads themselves are iridescent and multicolor and so you look at a mallard and they have that green but it kind of has like this morpho um, green to purple and does this whole shift and we're like all right how do we do that into a helmet and then of course, you know, the rest of college football is like, we want a piece of that, but it actually is originally inspired off of the duck itself. Oh man, Daryl, I, I am geeking out hard about this. I know Sam can only be freaking out right now. I just want to remind Cloud everybody, nine, I want to remind everybody out there uh, coming to Autzen stadium or your TV, October 22nd, uh, Oregon forever. Uh, loving, loving the Black Panther story behind that because you can see it, especially in the Ohana jerseys, man. Those, especially like the merchandising that they sold in the shirts. Uh, I still like get confused with my regular Black Panther T-shirts when I, when I go pull that out of the closet. Transitioning to uh, just, I mean, the level of detail you've given us just reminds me why you were able to be on the travel squad as a redshirt freshman. Now, not only that, back then we needed, you know, seven, eight quarterbacks in Coach Kelly's system. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, you not only understood the offense from a quarterback position, but you understood what the running backs did. You understood what the wide receivers did. Uh, talk about a little bit about that redshirt year and what went into the coaches trusting you to put you on the travel squad for UCLA that week. Oh, man. I mean, you know, part of it is probably like a little bit necessity, but then also I think Chip Kelly had a lot of trust in me and that I was one of the better quarterbacks at running the zone read. So out of high school, I was like deemed an athlete and Scott Frost had recruited me to come in and Chip was like, hey, you are good at running the zone read option. 
if we, if I'm bringing you, it's because I need you and I'm willing to play you. So I was like, all right, let's go. And, you know, I'm 18 years old. I know nothing about Westwood and the Rose Bowl and like just a little bit of history, you know, coming from Omaha, Nebraska. So I'm like, ah, oh, big 12, whatever. I mean, it's like the same thing. And so we get to UCLA and I'm like, wow, this is, this is like the real deal. Like the real, real deal. It's sunny. It's California. UCLA has got everything all crispy with the powder blue and everything. And I mean, like when I tell you it was hilarious because, you know, I'm, I'm red shirt quarterback. I'm out there. I'm doing the warmups. I'm running with the whole team and like doing the things. I could tell the student sections behind us and they're just looking through the names of the roster like 16, you suck. I'm like, yes, this is, this is exactly what I dreamed of when I thought like college football, you know, Rose Bowl stadiums, like it's huge it's where the Rose Bowl is at. So it's like full of hundred thousand people. And to be able to even have an opportunity at the debut there was absolutely amazing. I can go into detail a little bit about like how close I was to actually changing history in that game too. So I want to say we come in at half and we're starting really slow because Jeremiah Masoli was out. He's got full knee brace on. I think he showed up to the game, but he was just there for moral support. Didn't dress or anything. Nate Costa has a start and it's me and Darren Thomas who are still trying to redshirt this year. And so after a slow start, Chip Kelly comes up to me and he grabs me by the shirt. He's like, listen, Daryl, if we don't score this first drive, you're going in. I don't care if we have to run the same play over and over again. We're going to figure out how to win this game and I'll put you in there. Just run one play. It's like, oh my gosh, yes, let's go. I'm like trying to have a straight face and be like, yes, sir. Yes, coach. But really on the inside, I'm freaking out like, yes, this is it. This is what I dreamed of quarterback in this game. Oh my gosh. So fortunate enough, opening kickoff, like we're receiving, they kick it off to Kenyon Barner. Kenyon does what he normally does, a little whoop whoop. And then all of a sudden squirts it out, touchdown. Like, ah, yes, but (laughs) no, I wanted to go in and figure out how to do this. Anyway. You know, long story short, we end up winning the game by a decent amount. I think Nate goes and throws a couple more touchdowns and we turn it on. But alternate universe, man, who knows? Maybe maybe Marcus is my backup. <laughs> uh, Daryl, well, I'm sorry to hear you didn't get into that game, but the first game you definitely did get into was one of the most historic blowouts in, in odds in history. The first game of that 2010 season. You guys take down New Mexico. Nick and I had to look at it before jumping on here to make sure we had it right. 72 to nothing. Just an absolute blowout by all means. When you're getting into that first game, whether it is on special teams earlier in the game or when you're getting your rushing attempts later on, eventually getting into the end zone in that ball game, what was it like taking the field for the first time at Austin Stadium and really getting some run as a part of such a special team? Well, man, it's, it's what you dream of. I mean, I think like, Anybody who's an athlete and a competitor, when you first sign your letter of intent, you don't ever think about like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be on the sidelines and whatever. You're dreaming about exactly that moment that you just described, where you finally go out there in the gear 
they call your name on the big old announcer thing or you're in the huddle you clap your hands just like you did in pop warner all these years that you poured blood sweat and tears into and then you finally get to go out at some of the best of the best competition out there that mean like anybody who steps into Odson stadium is ready to get it because you know that's that's your moment like you get to literally write in history what happens and so i mean i think like that first game for me i don't know there's there's so many emotions i mean you've been working hard you've been training all summer and you know after redshirting for that whole year you really get entrenched in like all right these are my guys and like i got the leadership and i've definitely earned my dues and uh i've put in the work to have this moment to perform and I'm just extremely grateful for the opportunity that coaches continue to trust me and they put me in a place where I was able to go out and just do my thing. And I'm honored and privileged to have the stats that back up that I was meant to be out there. Uh, but you know, like so much of, especially when you play quarterback is like helping orchestrate everything that comes together. And, uh, you know, as much as it is like my touchdown, because I was able to run the ball in myself, I know for me and everyone else that was in my class, that was also like debuting in their first game. Like they were celebrating that touchdown as much with all of us, just as a team, as a class, being able to be out there and have those red shirts burned. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, of all the positions you played, uh, special teams even included, just what did you enjoy the most and what, why? Ooh. I mean, I've always loved having the ball in my hands which is probably why I like playing quarterback is because you always get the ball in your hands. That being said, uh, man, the position I loved the most, I mean, I really loved playing quarterback, like a lot, a lot, just be able to dish the ball around, throw the ball, lace it in there. But then also like how dynamic our offense specifically is at quarterback. You get to do a lot of the things that, the other positions like Crave doing, like being able to run the ball up the middle. I would still say it's one of my favorite parts of that offense is being able to like full zone read. I mean, you've seen it so many times with Dennis and Marcus and all the different guys who've been amazingly good at it and being able to just slice and dice and cut up a defense. Like that is, I absolutely love that. Just being able to go full downhill, hack them up, run through the cloud of smoke and then see how many yards you can get is just, it's one of my favorite memories. Well, Daryl, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but after this bye week coming up this weekend, Oregon, a huge game against UCLA, like we've said, Chip Kelly coming back to Autzen. You yourself played in probably the biggest game Oregon's ever played against UCLA, that inaugural Pac-12 championship game hosted in Autzen Stadium, three catches, 38 yards, and a huge touchdown in that ball game. What was that experience like playing that first ever Pac-12 championship game in front of your home crowd? Oh, man. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's amazing. And it's almost like still unfathomable to think about like how it is now etched apart in history. But I think when I look at that specific game and being able to contribute to it, so much of it is about your teammates. And I think, you know, like it wasn't my last game, but it was definitely some of the last games for a lot of guys who I was playing with. You know, I think about all the seniors on that team specifically, and it's like, this is how they are going out. Like this is their their last chance at legacy and history and, you know, making something truly spectacular. And 
when you're on a run like that, where you're, you know, trying to be one of the winningest teams in program history and the nation history, and you're trying to go on to bigger and better, uh, you really lean on to all your teammates as far as, um, you know, just all the work you put in, the blood, sweat, tears, the efforts. Uh, that's how you're able to do things beyond yourself is you look to the person to the left of you and the right of you and say, you know what, for you, we're going to get there. I can't, I can't let anybody else down. It's not going to fail because of me. Love that, man. Love that. So with Chip coming back to town, I've got to ask it, especially new uniforms again. Last time he came back to Autzen, busted out the Ohana on him, busted out another specialty this time. Has Chip ever reached out to you and just be like, man, what are you trying to do to me? You're Autzen's <laughs> fired up enough, man. <laughs> you know, I think Chip gets it. He's, he's a good sport, and I'm sure you remember Chip. He's like, overcome adversity. If anything, this is fuel for the fire. And you know, I think he's also stubborn in that way of like, doesn't matter how high they are, we should be able to knock them out. Therefore, you know, I think he's, he's been trying to build resilience to it. And if anything, it's almost a superstition, like the more energy you give to it, the more, the more mojo goes against you. So you just got to be able to take it in stride. So I, I respect him for that. But I think also, if he loses again, he's going to be like, no, for the next time. Well, as Nick said, whether it's Jordan jerseys, Ohana jerseys, the uh, eggshell that I've got behind me right now, this black and pink, Chip does certainly seem to always get the brunt of the specialty uniform whenever it comes out every year. But uh, Daryl, I can't thank you enough for coming on and thank you enough for the fantastic work that you've done for the Oregon program, both as a player and as a member of the Nike team. It's just so phenomenal to be able to see both what you did on the field and now what you're doing uh, behind the scenes, doing just some terrific work. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Once a duck, always a duck. Well, damn, I, I couldn't have asked us to keep this streak going with a better interview than that because getting to talk about these uniforms, man, oh, the level of detail provided shows you exactly the skill level that it takes for that job. You can, I, He could talk all day about just the uniform designs that we're playing with right now. And I know that you loved it, Sam. I know I loved it. I hope our audience loved it because, man, you aren't getting that anywhere else. Nick, I, you know I love this podcast. You know I love doing it with you. But if, if Daryl ever wanted to start a uniform-based podcast, I would be so quick to go work on that with him. I can do two projects at once. Don't worry about that. But I would be so thrilled just to, to pick his mind hours at a time, weeks at a time. It is so much fantastic detail. We heard how he broke it down there. Every minute aspect of it, he just had pinned down to a point. Fantastic stuff from him. You know I'm just sitting here out of breath and overjubilated that we were able to get that. Yeah, man. Well, and we've got plenty more time to even talk about it next week on next week's podcast as we get a little more ready for UCLA as we start previewing them. We'll save a lot of our thoughts on their team and our breakdown for next week so we have more to talk about. But this week, we want to ask all our Twitter fans out there, first and foremost, uh, basically, you know, halfway through the duck season, how do you feel about where this team is? Does it meet your expectations? Also, being on a bye, what are you doing to fill your Saturday this week? And as always, your favorite answers will get read aloud. So make sure you're following us at Once a Duck. Make sure you're following me at Nick R. Cody. And make sure you're following Sam at Samuel101TS because uh, don't always have the best takes. But your best takes will make it onto the show. And uh, before we talk about all of what you guys are doing, man, 
I am going up to Autzen North, also known as Husky Stadium, and I will be cheering on the team we just beat, the Arizona Wildcats, and uh, uh, hopefully getting to see a big Arizona win. I uh, want to see those wide receivers light up those Washington DBs a little bit. I think that that, that could be a lot of fun and then uh, do a little open mic comedy after and it's going to be a great Saturday. It's going to be a wild day in Seattle. Uh, got the Mariners plan, got the Kraken home opener. So uh, it's going to be a packed light rail, but I'm still excited. Uh, you know, Autzen North is becoming pretty familiar and a, a place I, I, I haven't lost yet. So uh, I'm excited and I'm pulling for a Wildcats victory. What are you doing, Sam? Well, Nick, I think that without Oregon playing, it's going to be just a full, full football watching experience. Obviously, going to take time for the Mariners and the Kraken that day as well. That'll be a lot of fun to check out each of those teams. But just the slate of college football coming up this weekend is really, really incredible. It's about as good a weekend as you could ask for without the Ducks playing. Number 10, Penn State versus number five, Michigan is going to be a great matchup. Number three, Alabama versus number six, Tennessee and Knoxville. That should be so much fun. A team we just talked about with Daryl, TCU, they're hosting Oklahoma State in a top 15 matchup. That should be so much fun. NC State, Syracuse, 15 versus 18. Mississippi State and Kentucky, that's 16 versus 22. And then the nightcap is really going to be that Pac-12 South matchup, one that will tell us so much moving forward. USC at Utah, Utah breaking out. Their special helmets memorializing the players that unfortunately passed away in their previous offseason to this one. It is really going to be a special game down there in Rice Eccles Stadium. Very, very excited to watch that matchup. Could be a huge matchup after Utah fell to UCLA last week. If they are able to win that game, they just put themselves right back in position in the Pac-12 South, right back in position in the entire Pac-12 standings. It's going to be a great weekend of football. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, you got to respect Utah for those helmets. One of the few schools not trying to do everything Oregon does and still doing something unique with it and something really meaningful. Love to see that. And a couple of those matchups you're really hoping can uh, kind of swing the Ducks way so that hopefully we can get college game day next week. So I know I won't be watching all those games, but I'll be checking the final scores for sure. Out there on Twitter, uh, we got a bunch of people responding on this one, man. Uh, excited to hear what you guys are going to do. Uh, at Wolf underscore Torque is taking the family out on a nice fall camping trip. That sounds nice. Ox record is exactly what I thought it would be, and I've been loving the new offense. The second half of the season is going to be fun. And I got to agree, uh, those sentiments all, I, I echo those. I definitely, uh, well, even though my prediction on here echoed otherwise, I, I, I could see us being five and one at this point. Uh, ex expectations are still pretty high and uh, mostly fulfilled at this point. You know, one of my uh, one of my favorite responses I saw on here made me it definitely made me chuckle when I saw it from Tahoe Duck 20 at Tahoe O Duck fan. If you had told me in August we would be five and one with a loss to Georgia, wins at Washington State, blowout over Stanford and BYU, and at Arizona, fuck yeah, sign my happy ass up. I can't agree more. That is one hundred percent where I am at with this team that if you told me that's the deal I'm taking it 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Uh, one, I didn't, I, especially I wanted to talk about 
at flying ducks mikey g said i mean after the georgia game it felt worse than getting throttled by utah twice but now we're seeing what we expected to see and the loss hasn't phased this team and staff just kept grinding and getting better so overall very impressed the future is bright and the the first half of that i couldn't disagree more georgia is the reigning national champion, current number one in, in the rankings. I mean, this is a team stacked with NFL talent at almost every position. To be embarrassed by them, I can I can swallow that. And we moved the ball on them as well, which I, I wasn't necessarily expecting. I was expecting going into that game a defensive battle. And, you know, defense wasn't ready. But, hey, that takes time. I am much more willing to forgive that loss than the two Utah losses to an in-conference opponent that absolutely manhandled us, ran the ball away from our best player at will. And I mean, situationally had us completely mashed up, not just in the first game, but the second. And we made absolutely stupid decisions that make me resent ever watching those games. Again, I've still never watched the PAC 12 championship fully through. I could go back and watch the Georgia game and go find a lot of positive things. I think in the tape. Now, would I skip through some of the tackling? Yes, but the matchups getting lined up on the field, some of the unique and interesting things we did on offense to try and move the ball between the red zones. Uh, you know, that, that was impressive for what the de- caliber of defense was but going against utah i mean much respect to that but that's a different caliber opponent you saw him lose to ohio state that left such a bad taste in my mouth that i i can't even so uh you know i i don't know i and i i don't know that i expected to see exactly what we're seeing either at this point i think my expectations have risen so much week by week and that I am always expecting something new to pop out on the film, something in the game that I wasn't expecting. Now I'm anticipating, which I really wasn't thinking going into this season because it's been so long. Well, you know what? I, I agree with you, but also I, I can see the other perspective on this just a little bit because granted hindsight is 2020, especially looking back on those Utah games. And I think understanding a little bit of what was going on in the Oregon program now, in retrospect, it almost makes those Utah losses, yeah, those, those really, really hurt. But things were kind of imploding a little bit from the inside. A few people might have had one foot out the door. Things weren't being prepped for, prepared for the way that it probably should have been. And they, they caught a Utah team that was having a special year. One of those Kyle Whittingham just absolute masterpieces of a season. And it, it, it's very tough, and I do agree with you. Those do hurt more just because it is in conference. It is the Pac-12 championship game. They did end up losing to an Ohio State team that Oregon did beat. But when you have a new coaching staff, a, a brand-new fresh start, a clean slate, and it just starts like that, I can't understand how demoralizing that can feel, how you might be able to justify the losses the year before, how that one could feel right out of the gate. But I do agree with you. It's the defending national champs probably the best performance out of one of the best college football teams we've ever seen. That's just going to happen. Sometimes, sometimes you get caught. Oregon got caught. If they were to play again tomorrow, I don't think that would be the score at all. Do I think the ducks win? Uh, I'm not going to say that much, but I do think it's far more competitive of a ball game. Next tweet I have for you, Nick at devious duck underscore Austin Bo Nick season, dropping this one on us exceeded my expectations. I thought we would struggle versus BYU and also thought we would lose to Washington State because they're tough to play, and we won both. Also, Knicks is better than I thought. 
spending the bye week watching all those other good games. Austin, I'll be watching those good games as well. Hope to see your thoughts on Twitter about them. You know, you'll see mine throughout the ball throughout the day as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, everybody on Twitter, make sure, uh, you know, it's going to be the thing. Everybody's going to have their own ability to watch. So, Hey, shout it out. Let us know what games, uh, pop and what to turn to and uh because it's tough to watch all of them sometimes you never know which one is the great game that's going to happen too and which one like we saw with uh the uh texas blowout is an absolute crapshoot <laughs> so one more for me uh rj underscore nico seven said after the georgia game the bounce back and no quit attitude i am very impressed also shout out to uh coach clem He's got the O-line disciplined and just allowing one sack through six games. The defense is just wild. Bo Nix is having fun with the backs and receivers. Man, it, that nailed that one right there. It does just look like so much fun this team is having. I absolutely love to see Bo Nix enjoying football as much as he is right now. Winning games will do that for you, and I think that Bo Nix is definitely enjoying himself. The last one I got for you, Todd Davis Drywall at TD Drywall. Very proud of our team. Shook off week one loss and improved each week. This bye week, I will be in Seattle for the ALDS game three. Todd, be loud for me, man. Enjoy that game. Hopefully, that is not the last game the Mariners play this season. But we don't we don't spend too much time talking about Seattle sports on here. But I will say, go M's. Hope that you have a fantastic day up in Seattle for that one. Yeah, if, if you run into me on the light rail, say what's up. <laughs> uh, so, um. Man, something else I really love for that, since the t- subject came up of just the team having fun. Uh, something that was posted just a couple days ago was uh, the Oregon team getting together in the Mashovsky Center for a family night. And coaches were bringing in their kids. Uh, the team had, it looked like a, all kinds of barbecue options to pick up from the uh, grill. Uh, I mean, it just looked like they had the video games out on the projector, pop shot set up for everybody, big inflatables for the kids out there. It looked like a ton of fun. And it just it, it takes me back. And I'm like, hmm, we, we did some fun things in the bye weeks back in my day, but nothing like that. Nothing that was that over the top and that complete team centric. It felt more like guys were getting together with their position groups. This felt like, man, you were seeing everybody, regardless of position, intermingling, having fun giving high fives, like everything that came out of that is really impressive. And it just reminds me of all the time you can spend in a bye week can almost overdo it. You can over prepare for an opponent and everything that's come out of the Oregon camp, especially from coach Lanning and the focus on Oregon playing Oregon, not just every week, but especially this week is so important and getting those little breaks from the, the mental game and the stress of football to just go out and have fun is so huge and so important, especially when you just really do emphasize that family aspect of it. Well, and it's always good to see these guys being able to have fun and enjoy themselves. It, being an athlete, being a student, being a, a family member, a brother to the, your, your, your teammates, as well as the real family that you have calling, texting, everything. There's a lot going on in these guys' lives. I don't think anybody's willing to deny that. And to see that they were able to set aside the time to enjoy each other, to enjoy some fun, just be able to really live life with so much fun. Also, love seeing the Dan Lanning campus visit throughout the week as well. Not only are these guys having fun off the field, they seem to be having fun on the field as well as fun in the classroom. Everything you want to see out of these college guys is happening. And I'm really, really proud of where this team is at exactly halfway through the season. We are halfway through the season. 
It's been six games. There are six to go. Talk about a kind of perfectly placed bye week right here, right before a stretch of games that is, is bound to be pretty difficult to no end. But I think it's time, Nick. I think that we're going to have to put together some of our players of the first half of the year, if you will, whether it's by position, offense, defense. We're going to break it down a little bit. Who are some of our players of the year so far? Nick, I'm going to start with you. We're going to start broad and then break it down a little bit further, but your offensive player of the year, I'm curious to hear who you have in mind as the guy who has really been the outstanding star of this offense for the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, we've got a ton of options here and uh, a lot of newcomers in this category and, uh, you know, a couple guys that have been here and are just starting to really peak in their development, but Hey, man, you know, I'm a guy that truly believes it all starts up front, but there's only two guys handling the football guaranteed every single play. Well, unless you have some kind of wildcat trick play, but that's the center. That's your quarterback. It's got to be one of those two guys for me on this team. And I'm going with Bo Nix. Bo Nix has to be the offensive MVP for me. I think he's, you know, outside of the uh, the interceptions in the Georgia game, I have, I've been really impressed with his decision-making ability, his ability especially to get easy yards and when he sees the opportunity to go for all the way for the touchdown to turn on the jets and go for it man really impressed with his ability and uh the team has really responded to him and there's no there's no substitute for that you, if your team is behind you fully 100 percent uh you know that makes everyone that much better that makes everyone play for each other that much harder and you you become that much tougher to beat well, I, and I completely agree with you. There's been so many terrific performers for this Oregon team. The entire offensive line, as we mentioned, the receiving core, Franklin, Terrence Ferguson, who's gotten a lot of love on this podcast for how great he's been, who really still might be the best player overall in that offense, but the MVP, the most valuable player, there is no question that it is Bo Nix. 1,526 yards, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions. I'm pretty sure anybody will take a four-to-one touchdown to interception ratio out of your starting quarterback any day of the week he's got an overall rating of 157.4 really love seeing that out of him only taken one sack on the season and even that it was only about seven or eight inches away from not being a sack just <clears throat> so great from him and then on the ground as well 40 rushing attempts 331 yards that's averaging 8.3 yards per rush out of your quarterback. That is absolutely fantastic stuff from him, including that 80-yarder against Stanford that I know blew everybody away. Eight touchdowns on the ground as well. This is a guy who so far through six games, including a game that he didn't account for any points against Georgia, we are looking at 20 touchdowns, three turnovers. Take out that Georgia game, 20 touchdowns, one turnover incredible stuff from Bo Nix so impressed with what he has been able to do this season he is the offensive MVP of this ball club absolutely agreed so guessing we're moving on to defense defense I've got co-MVPs for me it's too early in the season to determine which and I'm not going statistically so much as guys who you see on film as an offensive player and know you have to game plan for. And the guys that have been tested the most, I believe, and overcome that test. Those two are Brandon Dorless and Christian Gonzalez. I believe absolutely that these two have stepped up in their roles from much different situations. Gonzo being a transfer, coming into a new situation, already being, uh, you know, with the expectations of a, of a top tier Pac-12 defensive back, uh, first team all Pac-12. That's, 
that's its own level, but you know, you're going to get tested, got tested against Georgia, continue, continues to see teams try and go against him. But man, he's been really impressive to see. And uh, you know, it's been the opposite side of him now that teams are starting to test. And that that's a testament to what he's put on film and doorless. I mean, you, you, one of the most talented players on this defensive front and instant impact in the backfield once he gets near the quarterback because of his length his explosiveness and his ability to just get through offensive linemen man they've got to be really really nervous every time they line up with him right across from him because it's no guarantee you're going to complete that block whether it's a run or pass block you know what i was thinking of going brandon doorless i was thinking that direction but since you said it I'm going to go with another guy who I've just been super impressed with this season, who we've said on this podcast already this episode is improving week by week. That's going to be Bennett Williams. This is a guy, 30 total tackles, 22 solo. That means in space, 22 times this season, he has been able to make a play, generally huge plays. We saw the tip pass he had against Washington State. We've seen him get in there and break up a few other passes I'm almost willing to guarantee we're, we're just a week or two out from the first Bennett Williams interception. I think it's definitely coming. If not against UCLA, then definitely on the two-game road trip, either Cal or Colorado. It will for sure happen then. He's also got two forced fumbles on the year. It's a guy coming off the broken leg, a veteran coming back, a guy who transferred into Oregon a few years back, has now become a leading voice in the locker room, leading voice of that defense, statistical leader this far. He gets my defensive MVP award. But the other guys you mentioned, Dorless, Gonzalez, even guys like Sewell, who might not have showed up as much on the statute this year, are still doing such great work. This Oregon defense, it really is a team unit through and through, Nick. Yeah, Now we're moving on to special teams. And honestly, I think we're both going to have the same answer for this one again. And there's really no reason why we shouldn't, but I'll let you say the name. Well... I mean, you put it right through the ups rights, just like Camden Lewis, man. It's uh, It's got to be him. Uh, Oregon consistency at the kicker position is something we aren't all that familiar with, even though our kicker guest this season is is quite the contrary. Uh, you know, the, the these two are outliers in the Oregon kicking game. And uh, I really believe that the confidence that the team around him uh, has is to, to watch that evolve from that Wazoo game in 2019 to the point it's at now, man. It's special because you can tell, uh, and not just in terms of all the extra points, all all the trustworthy field goals, but being able to handle his business on that many kickoffs when you're scoring that many touchdowns, that many field goals, that many points, it's impressive. And overall, uh, you know, uh, got to give it to the kid. He he's never given up and he's never doubted himself. Well, Nick, I'm I'm not superstitious in life, but I am superstitious in sports, especially football. So I'm knocking on wood as I say this, but Camden Lewis. Seven of seven on field goals this season, 31 of 31 on extra points, 100% across the board, accounted for 52 total points on the season. He has been really, really fantastic. His long this year, it was a 38-yarder, but even on that kick, we've seen how much leg this kid has. He can put so much more on it if he needs to. I feel confident with him kicking all the way back, probably to 50 yards or so. I really do think... He's got the leg. He's got the accuracy to knock it in. Special teams MVP far and away. He has just been so impressive. The continual growth every year. He was my most improved player of the year last year. Becoming consistent this year. It's not a question at all. Again, doing a little knocking on wood just because I do get concerned when it comes to sports. A little superstitious when it comes to football. But he has been so fantastic. Camden Lewis, an absolutely phenomenal season. He has earned that special teams player of the year 
Nick, I wanted to ask you this one because this was a unit that I know you look at the most. How could you not? It's the offensive line. I want to hear from you. Who is your offensive lineman of the year been thus far through the season? Yeah, I mean, you got to give it to Forsyth, uh, continuing to be healthy this season. That's really important and been the key to leading this team. But uh, TJ Bass, overall, him, his ability at the left tackle position, uh, you know, being graded out consistently, I think the past two weeks, the uh, Pac-12 lineman of the week, uh, just tremendous performance from him, from a guy that I don't think a lot of people saw as a future left tackle, but for Oregon, he's been the franchise for, uh, he's been locking that spot down. And, you know, even last year, uh, really, really stepped up in his pass pro and uh, overall the run game pass pro, very, very solid offensive lineman, but Hey, it's always got to be five as one out there on the field. And we have a lot of guys that can do that. As we always talk about on this podcast right now, very confident with seven or eight of those guys, but you know, Bass, Forsyth, those guys have to get the the highest cred- credentials of our offensive linemen, and Bass just edges them out. You know, Nick, I'm going to move to the running back position now. I'm going to look at this group, and, and I'm going to give our running back MVP award. I It goes to Bucky Irvin. This has been a group that has been very consistent. They've all performed quite well. Between the four primary backs for the Ducks, Irving, Whittington, Dollars, and James, over 1,000 yards for all four combined through six games. Really, really, really good work from that entire unit. But Bucky Irving, 60 attempts, 429 yards. He's averaging 7.2 yards per rush. He's got the pair of touchdowns on the season. He also has the receiving touchdown from that Washington State game. Also, the highest rated passer on this team is Bucky Irving. One for one for 18 yards. That's a 251.2 rating right there. Bucky Irving, MVP of the running backs for sure. Well, man, I love that, uh, especially from a newcomer. Uh, On that uh, same topic, I got to ask you, who do you think is the best newcomer on this team? Best newcomer is definitely an interesting question, one that I'm happy we got to this early in this because – there have been a lot of great newcomers to this team, whether it is Bucky Irving, whether it is Noah Whittington, whether it is just this incredible stable of awesome players that Oregon has, but the guy who won our offensive MVP gets this award as well. Bo Nix, we already ran through the stats. We already ran through the numbers. Really, really great work from him this season. How could he not win newcomer of the year? He has been so fantastic for this Oregon football team. Yep, and just an honorable mention for that, since we don't have a best hair category, Casey Rogers out there. Shout out to him. Casey Rogers has been great. Actually, that takes me exactly to the next question I had for you, Nick. Moving from the offensive line that you gave us, give us the defensive line as well, the guys who you were used to going up against for all those years. Your defensive lineman of the year, there's been a lot of guys who have really performed, but I'm curious who you think has been the best. And we've had a couple newcomers come up and uh, show up big there, uh, you know, uh, and have to show up big with Popo being injured for the season, hopefully able to get another season out of that. But, uh, man, you got to give it to Dorless. Uh, you know, it, it, his season so far has has really been impressive, although, you know, it's, it's it's been a little bit late to turn it back up to the levels he was playing at last season. But, man, uh, uh, one of the guys that you have to – think is getting a lot of NFL scouts excited with his recent performances, especially being able to get after the quarterback. Well, Brandon Dorless has been so fantastic and you can see teams game planning for him specifically getting double, even triple teamed at times. 
it's leaving things open for all the other Oregon players. The reason they were able to get so much pressure against Arizona, those four-man, five-man rushes were working. Two were on doorless almost every single time. He was busy. He was occupied. He was occupying people, completely taking up space there, doing a really good job. I'll move it back to the offensive side, wide receiver department. I don't really think there's a question here, so we're going to get this one out of the way quickly. Troy, yards after catch Franklin, has been really Really something else this season. 27 receptions, 429 yards. Leading receiver and leading rusher, exact same amount of yards through six games. Fun little something there. The long of 50, averaging 15.9 yards per reception, three touchdowns on the year. Really, really great stuff out of Troy Franklin. But the other offensive position that we got to get to, tight ends. A lot of tight ends for Oregon doing different things. I think I know your answer, Nick, but who's your tight end of the year so far? I mean, it started off real strong, and now teams have to look out for him, but it's Ferguson. But it, it happened, you know, all of these guys are, are, are able to contribute in their own way. It's been great to see uh, Cam McCormick come back, kind of our comeback player of the year, possibly. But uh, there's a lot of guys up for that. But uh, all our tight ends right there, they have their, their key positions in this offense. They've been out there making key blocks, key catches, uh, you know, uh, faking, faking handoffs as uh, Herbert has uh, taken. And, uh, you know, that every, every bit that we've utilized them, they've pulled through. And they're all MVPs. But Ferguson, he, he's got to take the cake for that position group. Well, and I agree with you. Terrence Ferguson wins that award. The entire tight end group has been great they all do different things so well but he really does have that mvp award right there i'm gonna move back to the defense move to the linebackers move to that second layer and i i, I think we can both agree he's the guy who is highly touted he's the guy who everyone expects to be a high draft pick this offseason he's the guy whose number goes on these special pink jerseys it's noah sewell Sewell has been fantastic this season. Even when he hasn't shown up statistically, he has been a menace. He has been in places where he is causing problems. Teams have to plan for him. Teams have to plan around him. He deserves that award. I think the final one, unless I'm forgetting something, the secondary, the defensive, the cent, defensive backfield, who is your MVP of that group? I've got a feeling it's one of two guys. I think I know who it's going to be, but who is the MVP of the Oregon secondary? You are forgetting awards, so I'll save it for you after. But, yeah, I'm going with Gonzo. I've been really, really impressed with him, uh, you know, and, and that stems from, you know, seeing him at Colorado already knowing what he can do, but his ability to come in and gel on this defense and take over as CB1, that's uh, that's huge and uh, very, very key in this team's success right now. Well, Nick, hit me with that last award. Hit me with the one that we need. I thought of another one while you were talking. We'll see if it was the same thing. But uh, well, you already mentioned it. You already mentioned it. But uh, there's certainly a category for most improved player that we've got to mention. Oh, exactly. Most improved was exactly what I had realized. Oh wait, I might have missed something right here. But this one is going to be this one's going to be a very interesting call because I think there are a lot of people that we have seen improvement out of for sure we've seen guys like sean dollars come out and really perform in moments when he's been hurt or he's been underperforming at times other in his career he's looked really good i think that also defensively there are a lot of guys who have stepped up in big ways whether it is jeffrey bassa who we knew his potential but he's really really stepped up but i'm actually going with a wide receiver and a wide receiver who has yet to receive a touchdown on the year but has two or three of the most impressive catches we've seen. I'm going to go with Chris Hudson. Chris Hudson is a guy who last season as a freshman had a little bit of fumbleitis, had a hard time holding onto the ball. 
had a couple of boneheaded plays here and there. It was a guy who had a lot of potential. We saw what he could be at times, but it wasn't always there. So far this season, he is the fourth leading receiver, 14 catches, 179 yards, but he's averaging 12.8 yards per reception and has had some absolutely fantastic plays that at catching the Arizona game down to the one-yard line. If Knicks doesn't put a hair too much on that ball, it's a walk-in touchdown. Same at Washington State to come out that first drive out of the second half. Another fantastic diving catch on a slightly overthrown ball. Would have been a walk-in touchdown otherwise. And the way that they've been utilizing him early in games to get the opponent stretched out, whether it's just those quick bubble screens out to him or whether it's a quick play in the backfield, he has been somebody who has improved both from a play standpoint and a maturity standpoint. I've really loved to see that out of him. I got to agree with you fully. I mean, compared to last season and, and you know, a lot of his opportunities were more limited. I, 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 I'm really impressed with him this season. Guys, you got to shout out to in this category, obviously, is the, the improved play of Ferguson, Franklin, guys, you know, we talk about regularly week to week on the show. But yeah, Hudson, I definitely, th- I, I can agree with that for sure. Now, one more, I already mentioned it. We could probably just throw a, a bunch of guys out there. But uh, a couple comeback players of the year for you, maybe one on offense, defense. Well, you know, I think Cam McCormick is the answer everybody's going to have for this. Coming back from the injuries, he's got two touchdowns so far on the season. He has been playing very, very well. I believe he's the sixth or seventh leading receiver on this team. He's got seven grabs, 42 yards, two touchdowns. He has been really, really performing kind of as like that third tight end, if you will. Second, probably receiving tight end, really considering how much they prefer Matavao to be blocking. But Cam McCormick has really, really been so impressive. And then comeback player of the year on defense, it's another one that I think we're all going to agree with, Justin Flo. It's the first time we've seen him play more than one ball game in a season. And he has played really, really well. He is the fifth leading tackler on this team, having not played in every single game. He's the only guy within, I think, the top six or seven or eight who hasn't played in every game, but is still up among those numbers. Flow, 11 solo tackles, 12 assisted tackles for a total of 23. And he brings so much energy, so much juice. Very excited to see what the second half of the year has got for him. Absolutely. And as you'd already mentioned, uh, you know, a, a shout out to uh, Bennett Williams in that category on the defensive side, but certainly just with Flo and what he's had to overcome. I mean, that's it's tremendous to see him out there performing at the level we all expected him to with his talent. So it's been a lot of fun, Sam. Uh, I'm glad, as usual, there's not too many arguments or disagreements on our podcast. We're usually right in unison. But hey, if you disagree, you want to let us know who your MVPs are, or where you disagree. Let us know down in the comments. Let us know on Twitter, uh, shout us out, make it loud, let, you know, let it be heard. And especially if you have something that, you know, might make it onto the next episode, uh, go ahead and let us know down there because man, that helps drive up even more viewers, gets more of you guys engaged, entertained, and it helps us put out a better product for all of you. Well, and Nick, without a game this weekend, there's nothing that we're previewing game wise, which means that for next week's episode, There won't be something we'll be looking back on in terms of a game that just occurred, but I can guarantee people it's going to be a pretty classic once a duck episode, really leaning into the once a duck aspect of it. I guarantee there's going to be a lot of great Chip Kelly stories, a lot of great stories about games coming out of bye weeks. It's going to be a really, really fun one. We look forward to all of you listening to that. Yeah, hopefully another standout, amazing guest like we've had all this season. Let us know who you want. Uh, we're always listening always trying to send invites to the people that uh, you guys request, but 
I'm I'm excited, whoever it's going to end up being. We've got some ideas. But until then, guys, once a duck, always a duck. Enjoy your bye week. Go Ducks. <laughs>